We wind up our 2020 coverage with a few final ads and a look back to the shortened season. Like death and taxes, Dodger's been a Dodger. <laughs> I have That's not had uh, three cold brews yet. It works great in a fantasy league. I'm just glad I am not at the dentist. Fantasy Baseball in 15 on The Athletic. Welcome to Fantasy Baseball in 15 for Friday, September 25th. I'm Al Melchior and, uh, you know, DVR. I'm here with Derek Van Riper and DVR uh, on Thursday's show. We said it was the ultimate Michael Beller show. So this is the the ultimate in-season Derek Van Riper show. Equal time. I love it. I love the fairness. <laughs> yep. So this is going to be our, our last show for this regular season. Uh, as I did mention on the Thursday show, we'll be back with off-season coverage, but um, more on that uh, at some point. But um, we'll take the opportunity here with this being the windup for the regular season to, to put a lot of focus on our personal fantasy seasons, lessons learned, um, and obviously just the strange circumstances of the season and what we make or don't make of that. So we do have some injury news to get to, um, starting off here with Michael Conforto being placed on the injured list by the Mets with hamstring tightness. So his season is over, uh, Conforto going into uh, Thursday's game, uh, was 10th among outfielders on ESPN's player Raider. Uh, so, you know, a, a great season for Conforto in that sense, uh, certainly in fantasy as well as in real baseball. And yet, um, you know, we talked about Max Freed on the Thursday show DVR, and I made the argument, I think Max Freed could very easily wind up getting overdrafted because he was better in fantasy in 2020 than in 2019. And yet in terms of his indicators, he was pretty much the same pitcher. So Conforto, a lot of uh, line drives which drove up the batting average, but a little less power. And, uh, you know, I just wonder if people are going to look at the final result and and maybe draft him too early. Yeah, it's definitely possible. I, I think that's going to be an overarching theme in 2021 is we're going to have a lot of players because of recency bias who get overdrafted at kind of an extreme because of the shortened season as well. Like there's always recency bias. I just think it's going to be worse we're talking about a 60-game season because we're talking about 200-ish plate appearances for hitters. We're talking about you know 60 or so innings for starters who've been up all season. It's a really difficult problem to work through. And the thing I wanted to see with Conforto was you know improvement to the point where he wasn't sitting against lefties. That's happened, but there hasn't been a lot of skills growth. The first thing that stands out to me, he's hitting 412 on balls in play. That's not who he is. He's not some guy that only hits line drives and is a top-of-the-scale runner. And no one sustains a 412 BABIP anyway. For his career, he's a 305 guy. And I think for the type of hitter he is, you know, that's generally where he's going to be within probably 20 points most years in either direction. So I don't think we saw enough skills growth to support that kind of batting average going forward. I do think he's a legitimately good middle-of-the-order run producer. I think he's kind of a left-handed Nicholas Castellanos uh, if you're looking for you know a categorical comp. And I think the only difference there is I would generally expect Castellanos to provide a better batting average than Conforto, even though we're seeing 
you know, Conforto winning that category by about 100 points this season. Yeah, I mean, it's almost, uh, you know, sort of a role reversal because Castellanos does have something of a track record of being a line drive hitter. So, uh, you know, these are things that would get ironed out in a 162-game season. So just something it's something we'll definitely be talking a lot about during the offseason, to be sure. Uh, some other injury notes, Carlos Martinez on the injured list with an oblique strain. So his regular season is over. Eloy Jimenez is day-to-day with the sore right foot. So if you're relying on him in your daily lineup leagues, that's something to check each day over the weekend. Uh, Jimer Candelario also day-to-day with tight lower back. So same situation for him. And while we are looking ahead to the weekend, and you know a lot of that for daily lineup leagues is just going to be you know checking on your hitters and seeing, making sure they're healthy and looking at matchups and that sort of thing. But uh, Michael Beller and I did um, pick out a few hitters to look at for um, for the coming weekend, and I I made note of the uh, the Tigers Royals series because I just thought that. I mean, look, you know, Tigers generally, when you, whoever's coming up in the rotation, you know, usually you can, um, you know, feel pretty good about the hitters. Uh, but just look like a really good opportunity to go pick up your Royals. I mentioned that I put in a bid on Michael Franco. We also talked about Franchi Cordero in a different context, and we both kind of poo pooed him a little bit. Uh, as a deep leaguer. And then he went and hit two home runs on Wednesday. And and taking a closer look at Franchi Cordero, not only coming into Thursday, were half of his 28 batted balls, hard hit balls, that is 95 miles an hour or higher, he struck out twice in 31 plate appearances. Yes, very small sample. Also, very extreme, two strikeouts and 31 plate appearances. Do you make anything of that? And is that any kind of uh, um, impetus for you to to actually pick him up in a daily league? I'm definitely intrigued. And, you know, after another game Thursday night, still sitting with that low strikeout total, I, I think what it could be is just an indication of some improvement, right? It's too small of a sample to say extreme changes have happened, but it gives you a little bit of hope that the 35% K rate that he's had for his career isn't necessarily who he is as a player. And I think you could make that sort of projection anyway when you consider that we're talking about a guy who's only had about 300 career big league plate appearances scattered over parts of four seasons. It's really hard to find your footing against big league pitching when you're up and down and you're injured and you're just not getting consistent day after day or at least sort of a, a big side platoon role at the big league level. So I do think he's interesting this weekend. I think he's still interesting because of the tools for 2021. I don't think he's going to cost much. I think being in Kansas City, he's got a much better chance of opening 2021 with some sort of role than he had when he was in a more crowded situation in San Diego. Yeah. And also in related news, Alex Gordon announcing he's retiring after the season. So um, notable in its own right, but also um, you know opening up a long-held outfield spot for Cordero or, or somebody else. Uh, and another name that I felt like maybe we were remiss uh, to mention uh, on Thursday's show is Randy Rosarena. He also uh, had a two-homer game on Wednesday against the Mets. Um, had Thursday off, but then rolling into a weekend series against the Phillies. You know, not necessarily super favorable starting pitching matchups, but you get into that bullpen, anything can happen. And Rosarino now has seven home runs already on the season. It's wild. The Rays are so good at finding players who you know, hit the ball hard. They take these guys, they make a little tweak. We're seeing a Rosarino put the ball in the air a lot more often in 
this stretch with the Rays than he did a year ago when he got that call up in St. Louis. It seems like this is yet another sort of success story, a good hit tool, a good eye at the plate sort of player who's now unlocking more power in Tampa Bay. Definitely like him in daily leagues down the stretch. And like Cordero, I mean, I think you have to think about a Rosarena as a late flyer for 2021. A lot could change in the Tampa Bay outfield between now and opening day next season. But there's a reason why they traded for him. When Tampa Bay goes after a player who I previously didn't have interest in, it opens my eyes to that player and makes me take a second look. And there's definitely a lot to like about Randy Arozarena. Yeah, no, there there really is. Um, and for this weekend as well. And he's fairly widely available. So uh, check that out. And um, we are going to um, move forward by, uh, you know, looking, I guess, looking backward at uh, what uh, the season had in store for us, what we make of it and all that. Uh, we're going to get to all that in just a moment. Uh, just after a quick message here from Roman. Talking about erectile dysfunction isn't easy. Usually it gets brushed off or it's avoided altogether with excuses. But with Roman, it's easy to talk about it. With a real healthcare professional who can prescribe real medication, it's simple, safe, and totally discreet. With Roman, you can get a free online evaluation and ongoing care for ED, all from the comfort and privacy of your home. A healthcare professional will work with you to find the best treatment plan. If medication is appropriate, Roman will ship it to you with free two-day shipping. The whole process is straightforward, simple, and discreet. Getting started is simple. Just go to GetRoman.com slash Baseball15. That's the word 15 all spelled out. So that's GetRoman.com slash Baseball15 and complete an online visit. Erectile dysfunction used to be tough to tackle, but now there's Roman. Complete an online visit today to connect with a healthcare professional and take care of it. Go to GetRoman.com slash Baseball15 today. If approved, you'll get $15 off your first order of ED treatment. That's GetRoman.com slash Baseball15. GetRoman.com slash Baseball15. So DVR, I beat... Totally remiss to not mention that it looks like you've got a very good chance to end this weekend as the Tout Wars Mixed Auction Champion. Uh, as of right now, I think you're like 13 points ahead of Jeff Zimmerman. Uh, maybe you've looked more recently than I have. That's a pretty nice cushion with uh, with three days to go. So um, how'd you do it? <laughs> <laughs> well, this was... Um kind of similar to some of the things that went right for me in this league in 2014 and yeah I mean I, I think no lead is safe in this year because the standings are a bit more congealed than they ordinarily would be with it being the shortened season uh, hopefully my guys just stay healthy and do what they're supposed to do over the final season and I can hold on to that lead uh, but if you know Jeff Zimmerman you know that he spent plenty of time calculating where the points were going to be easiest to get and he found all the paths to possibly get those points so uh, you know it's over when it's officially over I think is the the way I've looked at this really for the last couple of weeks now I, I think the things that went right for me mostly came from the waiver wire I had a lot of injuries you know I, I had Noah Syndergaard I had James Paxton um, you know I had Cattell Marte underperform as a player that I spent a lot of money on so it's weird. You look back at this roster and you're like, well, this this roster isn't even that good at the top. But, you know, Nelson Cruz was a smart, expensive buy. Trey Turner was a good, expensive buy. Good combination of power and speed. Uh, the guys that I really did well with offensively 
were players that should have cost $15, but because of the stars and scrubs approach of most of the league, ended up costing fewer than $10. By that, Luke Voigt for seven was one of the best buys this year in the entire league. Corey Seager for seven was a player I really liked this draft season. I expected to pay 15 I got him for seven. Uh, I would say Byron Buxton for nine, even though it's been a lot more power and a lot less speed than I was expecting. He's been a great value at the price. And uh, Kyle Tucker, I'm sure probably my most talked about player throughout the entire extended draft season we had in 2020. He was a $3 guy in the auction. So I really did well with cheap hitters and then on the waiver wire with pitching. You know, I, I kept my at seven, just as good as some of those hitting buys. He sort of ended up being the ace on this team, even better than Jose Barrios, who I paid $19 for. Uh, but I think where I really did well was getting Christian Javier and spending a large chunk of my budget to get him. 257 out of 1,000 is a lot. If I was wrong about that, a quarter of my budget was down the drain on a guy with, with no track record. Yeah, well, you know, it's interesting that you're attributing a lot of your success to to Fab. And, you know, I, I can certainly see that, especially on the pitching side. But particularly in contrast with my roster, which just like you look like you're locked into first, I appear to be locked in at last, in the last spot in the standings. Um, and, you know, it looked like, and you mentioned a lot of these like really incredible buys, like Voight and Maeda, uh, both Seegers. Kyle Tucker. Um, you also got Alec Bohm in the reserve round, so you got him literally for for nothing. Um, I mean, that's that's a pretty nice core there that you spent very very little on. By contrast, I spent a total of eighty four dollars on Pete Alonso, Javier Baez, and Joey Gallo, and none of those three players finished among the top twenty four in their at their respective positions. So that's a lot of money for basically like replacement level. Yeah. <laughs> Um, but you know, I mean, there's certainly more to it than that. Um, but I mean, what do you think about the idea that in a short season like this, that maybe drafting was a little bit more important? Well, I think you had to end up with some of those cheap players who ended up returning twenty, thirty dollars worth of value this year. That's usually the key for any championship team, right? The the plus twenty profit guys are are huge. And I think wow, when I won six years ago, I think Ryan Zimmerman was like a $5 player that year, and he was a $20 value at the end of the season. Um, Carlos Carrasco, that was the year that he made the move from the bullpen to the rotation and was just dominant in the second half, right? He was a waiver pickup. A lot of the same ingredients kind of hold up as I look at this roster. Good fab decisions. Uh, I punted saves, relatively speaking. I only had one closer. I didn't really chase that many closers in fab and I only have four points in saves in a 15 team league. So um, getting almost nothing in that category, you could take three points away. And at this point, at least I'd still come out on top if, if it ended today. So I, I just think it was hitting on a few of those fab pickups, uh, not just Christian Javier, but you know, Zach Plesak has been really good when he's been out there. Jay Happ was available late in the season. I picked him up. I think the same week I picked up Davey Garcia and it was weird because at one point it looked like Garcia might be a threat to take Hap's job, and they're coexisting and pitching pretty well in the Yankees' rotation together. Uh, you know, I threw a pretty big bid at Tristan McKenzie. Part of it's just being willing to be aggressive, and I, I think in the shortened season, I was 
throwing a lot more behind my bids than I ordinarily would, and that seemed to pay off in a pretty big way. Uh, but I definitely made mistakes. I mean, Nolan Arenado, we talked about him and his, in his shoulder injury. He hasn't met himself. I spent $41 on him this year. Yeah, you know, and I think that, um, you know, it makes it sort of tricky to evaluate because, yeah, you know, you had that expenditure and, and maybe you just had enough, you know, really good bargains to, to make up for it. It's kind of hard to know exactly where, where to draw that line. Um, I overspent on some players, um, but I also had Juan Soto. Um, who I spent a lot on, but uh, I would guess probably returned every penny and then some. So I, I think, uh, you know, going back to kind of the negative lessons from my season uh, in Tout Wars, too, I think, and this is something I think I, I do perennially, is underestimate the importance of lifting your floor. Because I had one or two outfield spots I was continually cycling through, looking for somebody just to give me decent production and not really succeeding at that. I just felt like I had holes in the roster all year long. And I had some good fab pickups, but not enough. So, um, you know, maybe just too many holes left over from the draft. Um, and and maybe just not as much consistent success with my, with my fab uh, bidding, with my fab selection. The last thing I would say here is I've made a a point to just find as much playing time as I could in the outfield. And I didn't spend a lot on any of those guys. Buxton at nine, Avi Garcia at four, McCutcheon at five, Tucker at three, AJ Pollock in the reserves. I just had those guys playing nearly every day. Pollock was probably the most sketchy of the bunch, and he kind of hit my pie-in-the-sky sort of expectations this year, which was nice because I ended up having him quite a few places. Yeah, that's that's a, a nice uh, <laughs> nice uh, player to hit on for sure. Uh, well, DVR, I think we're going to have to close this uh, episode out and close this regular season out. Um, I will just remind everybody that if you're listening to uh, this episode of Fantasy Baseball in 15 on a platform that lets you leave a rating and review, we always do like it and appreciate it when you take the time to do that. And I also just want to take this moment to to thank everybody who's been involved with the show. Um, of course, you, Derek Van Riper, uh, it has been an absolute pleasure um, hosting the show with you all season long. Uh, Michael Beller, who unfortunately, uh, you know, I can't thank in person on this show, but I did thank him on the Thursday show. And uh, Cameron Molina, who produced a lot of these episodes this season so um i just really uh appreciate the fantastic work uh, from everybody that uh contributed to the show in 2020 well we appreciate everything you do here al leading the ship uh, every day and putting together the rundowns i mean it's like 200 shows this season or something it's i i think i lost count at one point but it's a ton of work to pull that together every day and you do a great job with it so glad to have you Much appreciated. And we will be back. uh, So just stay tuned. Uh, We will be back during the offseason. So um, hope you are with us for that. So for Derek Van Riper, I'm Al Melkier, and we will be back with you in the offseason.